<clears throat> for those of you who did not hear it, uh, our discussion time. Tanissa is uh, sorry that she cannot, uh, has not been able to be with us today. But uh, last night, uh, her grandmother uh, died, and uh, she just, we just found out this morning. And so it was uh, important that she could go and uh, be with her family and uh, see her grandmother's body and just uh, feel feel the gratitude for such a pure a pure presence of a simple unconditioned love in her life someone asked me if um in one of the notes that I received today, it's okay to cry in this place. I haven't seen it written in any rule book anywhere, but uh, Tanissa and I cried today, and they were beautiful, poignant tears, but beautiful tears, as we just felt the... Grandma Askew's life. She came to our monastery when when she was in her late 80s. I think she had her 94th birthday on uh, Wednesday. Died Thursday. She came to our monastery in her late 80s uh, with her husband, Canissa's grandfather, And she didn't know all about rules and stuff like that. She was operating in a different space. But I remember before she left, she just came up uh, to me. I was a monk at the time, to the other monks. Normally you don't go around grabbing monks, but... uh, (laughs) It was so beautiful. She, I remember she grabbed my hand. She said, God bless you. And the most beautiful beautiful blessing descended on us from such a a pure heart. Her and her husband were married for 70 years. They had their 70th wedding anniversary. Never left this country. He was a carpenter and she, I think the expression was, was in service. She cooked and cleaned up for people. very uncomplicated and the most beautiful quality I remember one of the most beautiful qualities that I remember coming through her is this capacity to appreciate capacity to appreciate simplicity the poignancy is that uh, when she was I guess in her early 90s then her her and her husband lived together alone. When she was in her early 90s, she started uh, forgetting some things. 
And sometimes she would just uh, walk out onto the road, not know what she was doing. And it uh, pretty much broke uh, Granddad's heart because he wanted so much to look after her, but he, he's very determined to be individual. He goes out and walks, does, never learned how to drive, does the shopping, and then she would somehow end up out on the road. And so the social services finally insisted that uh, she go into a home. And it was quite poignant because she was in a home with a lot of other older people who were losing their capacity to know exactly, to function in the same way that we, we do. People who were very unhappy, people who couldn't communicate, people who drooled. And yet Granddad uh, had to take three buses a day, an hour and a half, one way, every single day, seven days a week. He's 92, 93 probably now. Three buses to get to her, to hold her hand and uh, give her some jelly beans sometimes. And three buses home. And some people tried to talk him out of it. Oh, why do you go and do that? I mean, surely once a week is enough. And and do you really have all that energy? And and I'm thinking, "This this is this man's joy. What joy to, to make the effort to... to be with someone that he cares about. And he went to see her on the day that she died. And I'm sure he's glad that he went. She was uh, forgetting lots of things, but the day that, uh, a few weeks ago, that Tanissa and I went, we were being warned all of what kind of state she was going to be in. You never knew what she was going to do and all these kind of people warning us. And we went and she... We were way away in South Africa and she, uh, she knew immediately. She called Tanisha Linda Mary. And she called me Randolph. <laughs> never tried Kitty Sorrow. She says Randolph really beautifully and knew that we were way far away and was happy that we had come. And we said, well, how do you like it here, man? And for someone that was supposed not to be able to put a few sentences together, she's amazing. She says, well, she says, you know, I haven't been here long enough to approve or to condemn. She says, how's that for someone in my state? (laughs) And and, uh, and she says, you know, she looked at us both and says, y'all take care of each other. The capacity to appreciate is, is a very special thing and I think it's at the root, it's at the root really of what we're doing today. It's, it's not an easy practice because so many of us have been so many different places and we think so much, we've had so much education and seen so many things that the mind can get so critical, comparing and judging. 
how it should be. That it's not easy for us to, like Grandma asked you, just give a simple blessing to what's right in front of you. Bless you. To, to find joy in being with someone for 70 years, joy in cleaning, cooking. Even the poignancy of being separated from the one that you love, being in a home. And she went through struggle there too, but even in the midst of that, being able to, being able to appreciate that moment when her loved ones were there. Essentially what we're doing what we're doing today is actually learning again how to be very simple. And it's not an easy practice because because we we can be some of us can have gotten quite complicated. Not through any anything bad, just happens. Even through aspiration. I remember before I went to the monastery in Thailand, I was at Oxford writing a thesis on art, science, and mysticism in the works of Aldous Huxley. It's kind of huge topic. And a lovely topic to, to want to find the interconnectedness, the interrelationship of, of science, of, of, of create, the creative, the beautiful, and the mystical, the transcendent. But gosh, was it way up there in my thinking mind. Even though I was writing about art, science, and mysticism, I was... Uh, Basically, on an emotional roller coaster. Happiness, despair, happiness, despair. Confusion. And when I, I heard about this teacher in Thailand, this uh, forest master, and I finally got to see him, I think he knew, in a sense, that I had been kind of, you know, it was noble trying to figure out everything, I suppose. But he compared that a little bit to, to a, a dog just sniffing all over the place. My first meeting with me did that. Describing my... me. And then he, he told me, he said, you know, you can, you even just get to know this much, he said, and he pointed to his nose, just this much. You even get to know about your breath. He said, you'll understand everything. And then he said, let somebody go and teach you how to be a monk, how to meditate. And Ajahn Sumedho at that time was uh, his senior Western disciple at a nearby monastery. There were a few Westerners. I didn't really understand what he'd said. 
But over the years, having enough faith, I suppose, having enough trust, being touched enough by, I feel, I guess, the presence of someone that seemed very loving, wise, grand-hearted. I trusted enough, I guess, to stay with it, to try it. And you know it. And I think I am more and more deeply really seeing the wisdom of learning from the simple and how from the simple... The, the, the comprehension, the understanding, the capacity to, to open to the universal arises naturally. We have this great aspiration to be happy, to be at peace, some of us, to be in harmony with all beings. All these words require relationship, to be at peace, to be in harmony with all beings. That implies to be in harmonious relationship with body, with mind, with form, with feeling. Kanifra alluded to it yesterday in her introduction that, that actually in meditation we're working at the root of relationship. And I think very much that this is the case. Because what is the essence of relationship except receiving into consciousness? How many relationships are there where there isn't really a relationship? We might be in proximity to someone else. But is there any real hearing, listening, any real seeing? Or is the seeing and the listening obstructed by so many opinions, so many fixed views that we don't really receive with an open heart what's in front of us. And actually what is with us all the time? Here we have this body with us all the time. This breath, these thoughts, these feelings, these perceptions. What is our relationship with what we call ourself? In the cultivation of samadhi, in the cultivation of... of, uh, this calming, meditative practice, we're actually learning how to stay in contact with the body, with the breath, with the feeling, with walking. No wonder we get so many confused views about ourselves and others. When when if the basis of what we think we are and what someone else is is, is formed out of an instantaneous a perception where then there's a view and then we just see someone as this way and that way. No wonder we have all kinds of difficulties. Only when there's sustained receiving, sustained relationship, conscious relationship with body, do we then begin to awaken to its dynamic quality. The fact that actually it's shifting all the time. That's the same with feelings. And most powerfully, it's the same with our perceptions and thoughts. It's a dynamic process, changing every instant. When that is not fully realized, then we go around collapsing and contracting ourselves into some kind of box, thinking I'm good, I'm bad. 
I'm a jerk, or even I'm enlightened. Going around hanging on to that. Kogim Trumpa once said that uh, meditation is our capacity to be realistic. Learning how to be realistic. I like that. Learning how to be with the real. And, and, and so today we're, we're, we're learning, we're cultivating. Some of us for the first time, some of us have been doing this for years. But all of us, returning in the same humble way, returning to the openness of the present moment. Working from that place of presence, that place of mindfulness, that place of opening the heart of awareness to what is manifesting. And using these, these, these factors, Someone told me they sort of blew by today when I said them this morning and they didn't remember much from it. Well, that's all right. They'll keep blowing by and maybe a few will, will penetrate. We just use what, what uh, sticks and seems useful. We've been using these qualities that the Buddha taught that help support, help bring forth this quality of composure this quality of calm, using vitaka, the directed mind, the applied thought, not hating our thought, learning to have a skillful relationship, an appreciative relationship with thought. Yes, thought can crucify us and attack us and attack someone else. The thought is also miraculous. It can direct our attention. We can consciously have a thought which reminds us that it's possible to be simple. The thought here and now. What does that thought do? That thought manifests and then it dissolves, leaving the awareness right where it's always been, right here. Feeling the sounds, the light, the texture of the evening. We can have a thought peacefully, I breathe in. A quiet thought. Peacefully, I breathe out. Calming this body, I breathe in. Calming this body, I breathe out. Refreshing this body, I breathe in. Refreshing this body, I breathe out. Thought can direct us. It can be held lightly. It's a skill, it's a practice. It's learning to get to know our our human instrument. Vitaka. Vitara. Sustained thought. Or, and that's, Thought, and that's the clunky translation. That's why we go back to the original Pali sometimes. Vichara has so much else in it. It's not only bringing the mind to the present, 
But vichara includes then receiving all the nuances. Receiving the feeling tone. Not just directing the mind. That can be very heady. Willful. But vichara feels and then adjusts. How do we know we're too tense? That's a, an intelligence. That's vichara. We're breathing in to soothe the body or whatever and we notice these big shoulders up under our ears. Or we notice we're trying too hard. Or we notice we're wanting something. Where's that bliss? Where's that bliss? Vichara recognizes that, feels that. And then adjusts, calms the shoulders, smooths the body. We might notice that we're really sleepy. What is it that then, then recognizes the, the need to brighten? That's vichara. To adjust the breath so that there's more brightness. We might need more in-breath. might need a, a full breath. If we're really sensitive to our body, it will guide us. It will tell us what it wants. It's vitaka vichara. Bringing the mind and then sensing the nuances. Adjusting evaluating, not with big essays, but just for the sake of learning to appreciate, like Grandma asked you, to appreciate the simple, the simplicity of sitting, breathing, giving a blessing to this body, the blessing of, of respecting it enough to be in relationship, to learn to sustain moments of being with body breathing, being with body breathing, being with body breathing, being with body breathing. And then like that incense stick that touches the flame, you keep it in the flame, 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 then it catches. And then there's a process that's happening more effortlessly. And we might find it different for each of us. We might find the breath naturally becomes more subtle. We might find that the body becomes more relaxed, becomes lighter. Then we might discover what's this third factor, pitti, piti, P-I-T-I. And it, again, it's translated rapture, but gosh, you see rapture written down, and we could wait for eons imagining what that's going to feel like. Gold coins falling out of the sky and flowers. And I mean, rapture is part of it, but it also can be very a quiet fullness. Learning to be filled with. And that's another beautiful part of appreciative energy. The very critical mind judges, I'm not interested in this, I'm not interested in you. Isn't there something better looking, looking into the other corner? What was so beautiful about Grandma Askey, she didn't look to see someone else that she'd rather give a blessing to. Somewhere else. It was right in front of her. Bless you. She meant it. This capacity, the word content, it doesn't mean a frozen position of just being kind of like a contented rock. But the word content, I don't know about etymology, but to contain, to, to be filled with, 
is part of this quality of, of pity. If we're looking for that in, in meditation, then we, we need to cultivate learning to savor, learning to be filled with. The simplicity of something, just like sitting, something that... walking. Making the cup of tea. Doing our job. Helping out our task to help out. Learning to be with that. And, and we can. There are mental tendencies that want to get somewhere else, want to get finished, to get to the good stuff. There's not appreciation. There's not pity there. There's not that fullness that's learning to be filled with what it is that we're doing. So in Vitaka Vichara, the directed mind, the exploring mind, the sustaining mind, come together into this moment as the energy of actually being consciously here, the power actually of simple relationships is incredible. The power of taking the sun through a magnifying glass. We know that power. Just even as it's focused, even for a few seconds, it will burn right through a piece of paper. If we can relax and be patient, stay present, sustain that presence with the body, then the energy, the energy that's really already here starts to well up. That's why it's so important to relax to learn to be filled by that, however it feels, even if we think, I don't think this is rapture. But actually, this is where we need to look, right here, right in front of us. Actually, even appreciating that feeling, even if it's a fatigued feeling, can we listen and feel that, breathing with that, without so much judgment? Even if it's a stressed feeling, breathing through that, staying with this relationship, with simple relationship with body-mind. Any time we'll naturally get a feeling for, for the fullness that is joyful. And the fourth, the fourth uh, aspect of this calm will, will, will manifest, which is called sukha, which, which sometimes is translated as happy, at ease, relaxed. Learning to be relaxed. This is these two piti sukha are two great obstructions in samadhi practice. Some especially Westerners get into it with such determination. We have we this is one of the things we do have a lot of. Determination. It's a wonderful quality. But when that effort is tinged with such kind of drive, there's no room for piti sukha to manifest fullness and ease. Driving too hard. We have the chance on these days to learn to purify our effort, to learn how to make effort and yet relax while making effort. Letting effort just be effort so that effort is not so tied up with, I want to get somewhere. Vichara, this this discriminative, this intelligent staying in contact with how it is. We'll recognize when we're making effort demanding to get somewhere and it will keep encouraging us. Just let go. Just enjoy doing it for its own sake. You don't have to get somewhere else. This is how we counsel ourselves. 
ease. All these factors together then are part of calm. They don't disturb the calm. They're part of what's called ekagata, this fifth factor. Part of just a unified mind. Mind that's unified. It's one. It's at ease. Even though the thought, you might have the occasional thought of breathing in. Relax, relax. Out, relax. Those thoughts are not disturbing the calm. They're part of it. One might find that then at some point one doesn't want to think a lot, breathing in, breathing out. Why? Because it, if, if for some of you, if your minds are getting quite uh, subtle, it just might naturally drop away. Why? Because the mind's already in relationship. The awareness is receiving the body. The body is merged with the awareness. It's not slipping out. One doesn't have to keep reminding oneself in, out. It's just, it's right there, naturally. Naturally, those thoughts might then subside. Vitaka vichara, right? Naturally subside. And as that happens, one will notice a different quality in the peace. The feeling of fullness can get stronger. The feeling of ease can get stronger. The mind is quiet and just staying just with the fullness, the ease. There's still the breath, but one's not necessarily telling oneself about it. One's just abiding in the brightness of being with the breath in the fullness, the happiness. Sometimes the mind just doesn't want to necessarily be with all that fullness, and it might drop that. Naturally, it might just want to be with a kind of serene happiness in the breath. That's another quality of peace that can be called a different level of peace. Sometimes the mind doesn't even want to hold on to happiness. Even being happy just lets that go. It's just clear. Still with the body, bright. Still with just the brightness. We might discover different aspects of this. Or we might find, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's all right too. We might find that we're, we're just having a relationship with a screaming knee. Or feeling anxiety. Or feeling sleepiness. Or wanting, feeling the momentum of, of, of echoes of old habits and wanting to set someone straight and wanting to work out that contentious issue or wanting to make a decision and wanting to be peaceful but not being able to be peaceful and feeling that we were okay when we came and then walked into this room and my God, what did someone else bring in here? And who knows where it's all coming from? How much is mine? How much is yours? And then we can try saying, not now. We can try relaxing. We can try directing. And maybe, maybe that doesn't seem to do much. 
That's when it's very important just to remember Kuan Yin, to remember the essence of compassion, to, to remember g- g- Grandma Askew, which in a sense in, in Tanitha's life was that quality of just accepting, loving presence, blessing presence. That's how I knew her. I didn't meet her until she was late 80s. Then we need to remember that and, and just to then just breathe with a, with a stressed body. Breathe with a sleepy mind. If we don't even remember to breathe and when we wake up. Breathe within the mind that's kind of berating itself, not adding to it, so that there's a blessing, blessing this body-mind process with a quality of presence. That's a powerful magic, a powerful alchemy. Things which aren't noticed properly are one thing. The very same thing when presence of mind begins to touch that. It's something else. Something's totally different once it's being touched by presence. It's a very powerful healing force in starting to operate. Can we trust enough to let that, to let that take its time? Can we be, can we merge with the Bodhisattva of compassion, the greatly compassionate ones who listens to the sounds of the world? And if we're not able to smooth and calm can we then receive and still learn to appreciate, to actually appreciate breathing with how it is? Maybe that means resting. Maybe it means letting go of all our opinions of how it should be going. Maybe it means crying. Appreciating crying. Today, the, the tears of uh, when Tanisha and I were just feeling them. her grandmother. The poignancy, the pain, the beauty and the pain all mixed together. And let that happen. This is a resource that will be good for us no matter what we do. We learn how to be able to be filled with what's in front of us. Stepping, walking, turning, eating, breathing. We can just, we can learn to do that. Then we'll be able to receive another person. Actually have a a mind that's able to hold another person to listen to the sound of another person. So much comes through voice. So much comes through seeing. So much comes through feeling. If we can't sustain attention, how do we, how do we receive that? Knowledge that's being emanated, that information. Most of the time we don't, and then we end up having an opinion based on what someone else said or based on some flash. So what we're doing now, I really deeply believe, is, is, is at the root of skillful living, cultivating presence of mind, cultivating the capacity to appreciate the simple. This was the Buddha himself's path. After all those years of asceticism, torture, trying to go into high states above the body, 
been trying to crush the body through fasting and torturing and trying to stop breathing. He tried everything. And he had the thought, gosh, there is no monk, nun, ascetic who thrived and experienced more pain than this. They might have experienced an equal amount, but nobody has experienced any more than this. But I still haven't realized the goal of true peace. He said, might there be another way? And he remembered. A memory then came up when he was a child. His father was a king. He was a child sitting under the rose apple tree at a plowing festival, and I guess there was the king and all, and people were out there doing some kind of festival. I don't know what they were doing. Celebration. The fertility of Mother Earth, perhaps. I don't know. But he was removed from that. He wasn't a part of the games and the celebration. He found himself sitting in removed, sitting under the coolness of this little tree, And he had the memory of this child and the child quite innocently just went into breath. But with with the open eyes of a child, the innocence of a child, just to explore, what's this? And he said, he remembered that he went in this peaceful state of just staying with the breath, accompanied by these qualities that we've been looking at today. He remembered that pleasure, that fullness, that ease that welled up from within him. It didn't exploit anybody. He said, do I need to be afraid of that? Pleasure, is that bad? And the insight arose up in him, no, this, this is blameless. And he realized this is the path. This is, this is part of the path to remember, to cultivate this, this recognition of the treasure within us. He knew, though, that to experience this, I need to take care of myself. I have to eat something. So he changed from condemning the earth element, thinking that to finish suffering, you had to somehow crush this body, crush this world, get off to some kind of spiritual nibbana. He realized that it's a question of caring for, receiving, simplifying, purifying. So he did receive some food. He did cultivate that calm. He did feel refreshed. He did then use that mind, that composed mind, then to inquire. He did recognize the true nature of things. Recognize all the suffering that came from imagining, grasping and rejecting. And experienced the... the timeless peace which is our true nature. The peace which the Buddha taught is already here now. The radiant heart which is, is, but which we don't see through being so confused by all the thoughts and feelings that flow through. And he taught that a gateway to this realization is learning just to do what we've been doing today. To learn to cultivate sustained presence of mind in everything that we do. So I encourage all of us to be uh, patient, allow this alchemy, this magic 
of the whole group energy to work as we each in our own way work with our capacity to be here, resting when we need to, but beginning again. And I uh, encourage us all to continue with this. And I uh, think of uh, Grandma Askew. feel grateful for her life. And may the goodness of our work and our efforts uh, be shared with her today as she is in this transition. And may the blessings of the Buddha and Bodhisattvas continue to guide us. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.